Hello everyone, good morning, and welcome to another exciting episode of Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM, Auburn's premier home for student-run radio since 1971. I'm your host, Jack Hart, alongside my color man, Davis Carroll. We'd like to welcome in our listeners and viewers from across the Auburn and Opelika Megaplex and around the world, however you may be tuning in today, whether that be on your terrestrial radio antenna, <coughs> excuse me, on the information superhighway at wetlfm.com, or tuning in after the fact on transistor.fm, or watching us on Eagle Eye TV. We are happy to have you here in the booth with us for Auburn's only student-run drive-time morning show, and now, of course, we are broadcasting live from the Bradley Basin WEGL studios in the bowels of the Harold Melton Student Center on the campus of Auburn University, where it is uh, 65 and cloudy here on this Thursday morning. Welcoming you into Compact Discourse, we wish you a most sincere good morning as we get on with the show. Davis, how are you feeling about today? Feeling pretty good. Uh, only going to two classes a day. Going to have lunch with my dad. So I feel like it's a good excuse to skip a class. I think so. Has it been a while since you've seen your dad? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't been able to really go back home since summer. Mm. So I haven't seen really any of my family since then. Quite some time. Yeah. When was the last time you went home? Mm, I think in September. Boom. There you go. Just for a day. Hey, um, it's more than none. Family stuff to deal with. So, yeah, it was uh, nice and refreshing. Yeah, I don't. I live cl- a little closer to home than you do. So. Yeah, three and a half hours for me. Not a fan of the drive. Little, little easier for me to get back. It's fair than you. Um, but yeah, so that is something to look forward to for Davis and for all of us. So yeah, call your folks if you haven't already this week. Let them know you're doing all right and uh, get in touch with them. So we're going to move right on at this point. We would like to remind you that if at any point in the next two hours you feel so inclined to ask a question, drop a hot take, or in the highly unlikely event that we get something wrong, if you want to correct us, go ahead and call in at 334-844-9345. That's 334-844-9345 or 844-WEGL if you uh, have one of those keyboards. Uh, you can also shoot us a tweet at cdiscau, that is at c-d-i-s-c-a-u on Twitter. Um, we will be sure to get to your inquiry. I'm looking at the Twitter feed right now, so whatever you tweet will come right through to me. So if you have any suggestions on what you'd like us to talk about or any comments you'd like to weigh in on what we've already talked about, we would love to hear from you. I'd like to apologize in advance this morning for uh, for my cough. I have come down with a little bit of something allergy related so if i have to step away from the mic from the moment to cough or breathe or clear my throat please bear with me so that is what we're dealing with today but i think the first thing we could talk about today is of course playoff baseball as we have loved talking about so far this week i'm in a little bit better of a mood uh than i was yesterday because the braves were given a five to two lead for the second night in a row with six outs to go, and they managed to add that lead rather than give up the lead to the Los Angeles Dodgers in order to take a 3-1 to series lead out in the Chavez Ravine last night were the Atlanta Braves and Eddie Rosario, who is shaping up to be the MVP of this National League Championship Series. So I'll get Davis's initial thoughts, and then we'll jump right into stats on that one. Yeah, I really think overall is a good game for the Braves. Got up. Pretty early with those three, was it three solo home runs that they had? Uh, yeah, Duvall and Freeman went back-to-back and uh, did not look back from that one. Yeah, so obviously 
solo home runs worked out well for him. Uh, there was a little bit there that I thought the Dodgers were going to pull a, a a repeat of the day before. All the announcers were saying it too. It was shaping up to be exact same scenario. But then Eddie Rosario whacked that ball out instead of hitting for the cycle, which I'm sure he'd much rather have a essentially a walk off in a lot of ways. Every all the fans started leaving after he hit it. I think it was overall a really good game for the Braves. Pitching was pretty good, I'd say overall. Will Smith pitched good. Uh, Someone's just walked up outside and he's looking at me. All right, we'll we'll deal with that momentarily. Yeah, deal deal with him later. We'll get his thoughts on oh, something. Oh, good grief. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll invite Alex into the show in just a few minutes. So, um, but yeah, your scoring summary from last night: Eddie Rosario opened up the scoring, broke the ice with a homer to left center field, three hundred seventy-seven footer. Uh, Duval then came right back and homer to center field, so they went back to back in the second inning to make it 2 nothing, It was then Freddie Freeman who had his single home run. He went 4.07 to right center field to make it 3 nothing, And then Jock Peterson scored Eddie Rosario with a single to center field to make it 4 to nothing. In the fifth inning, Adam Duvall hit a sacrifice fly to center field to score Albies from third base. In the fifth inning, the Dodgers got their only sniff as uh, Pollock, he centered, centered, singled rather to right center field, and Justin Turner and Cody Bellinger were able to score on that one. Justin Turner would go down with an injury in his next at bat, something related to his um, hamstring or neck. I believe complications with both of those were the result of Justin Turner having to leave the game. Um, in the ninth inning, Freeman hit a ground rule double that allowed Dansby Swanson to score. Dansby Swanson got to second on a controversial stolen base call that, um, I don't know, it could have gone either way, Davis. I really think uh, you could say they didn't have enough to overturn it. They called it safe initially, but I do think Corey Seager had his hand or his mitt on him the whole time, and his foot did come off the bag for a second. So I think they could have overturned it, but I'm not mad that they didn't. So, yeah, without that, Freddie's ground rule double just puts him at second and keeps it a 5-2 to two game, easily striking distance for the Dodgers in the bottom of the ninth um, if it uh, comes down to that, as we saw last night. But uh, that was made a non-factor by the ruling of the umpire. And then Eddie Rosario seals the deal by knocking a three-run homer to deep right field. Freddie Freeman and Ozzie Albies both score on that one to make it a 9-2 to two route of the Los Angeles Dodgers for the Atlanta Braves in Game 4 to make this a 3-1 to one series lead for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, the first time the Braves have won not on a walk-off, although, as Davis previously mentioned, it was pretty much a walk-off. Um, this was a complete domination by the Braves. If you look at it on paper, uh, Atlanta only issued one walk to LA's three. Both teams stole one base. Uh, LA threw four, uh, eight strikeouts to Atlanta's four. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, the real kicker is that Atlanta had 27 total bases to LA's only four. So 105 wins, and they can only muster four bases in this postseason outing. Um, the Braves' pitching situation was a bit interesting. They had uh, Huascar Inoa listed as the starter. But he was unable to go, so uh, Julio Chavez got the start. He pitched one inning, perfect. Uh, then they brought in Drew Smiley. to. Uh, they used Chavez as an opener, so they brought in Drew Smiley to come in and clean up next. Um, 
He went three and a third with two hits, two earned runs, one walk, and two strikeouts. The only Braves pitcher to give up a run. Then Chris Martin got two outs. A.J. Minter came in for two innings of relief work. And Tyler Matzik and Will Smith did their job in the eighth and ninth innings to completely shut down the Dodgers, neither of them allowing a hit. Over on the Dodgers pitching side of things, Urias was your starter. Um, a lot of people were saying they let uh, Dave Roberts left Urias in way too long considering he allowed eight hits and five earned runs before Dave Roberts eventually pulled him in five innings of work. Bickford then came in and worked 1.2. Um, Brule just got one out there later in the game, and Gonzalez was your closer. He was the one who gave up that dagger to Eddie Rosario. Drew Smiley gets the win in this one. He's now 1-0 and uh, with his three innings of work, and Urias gets the loss. He's now 0-1 in this uh, postseason. I will say one of the crazier things that happened that game, Albert Pujols hit that single, and then Walker Bueller came in to pinch run. Yeah, that was a bit was something that was I'd never seen before. Uh, the Dodgers are making some interesting moves with their lineup card, including, I think, moving A.J. Pollock to center field. Uh, and then once Justin Turner went out at third base, they had to do a lot of reshuffling of the defense to uh, field a competitive team after uh, this Dodgers team has kind of been riddled with injuries throughout and, and players who are slumping. So a bit of a challenge between the bullpen and the defense to field a, uh, a team for Dave Roberts and the Dodgers so far this postseason. Um, looking at the offense for the Dodgers, only – Four different Dodgers were able to record a hit in the game. It was Pujols, who was one for one. Uh, Justin Turner was one for three. Cody Bellinger was one for three. And A.J. Pollock was one of two. Everyone else was held hitless on the night. Corey Seager drew a walk, and that was the only walk issued for Atlanta. So a very good night of pitching for the uh, sometimes shaky Braves bullpen. They put on a effectively perfect work of pitching after uh, Drew Smiley, uh, the starter, effectively gave up those two in the fifth inning. It was uh, up to the bullpen to get um, 12 outs, and they did exactly what they needed to do. So um, that was, we'll move on to the Braves offense real quick before we have to go to a break, and then we'll invite Alex into the studio Dansby Swanson was 1 for 5. He was 0 for 4, but I think he got a hit when it mattered. He got on base to kind of start the rally that sent the Dodger fans to the exit there in the ninth inning. Freddie Freeman was 2 of 4 after slumping for the uh, for the first <coughs> two games this series. Freddie Freeman's really come alive. He's, he's improved his uh, postseason average to 313. Ozzie Albich was 1 of 4. Austin Riley went cold on the night. He was 0 of 5. Eddie Rosario is your hero, four of five, three runs, four RBIs with a 588 postseason batting average. Adam Duvall went one for three. Jock was one for five with an RBI. Uh, Will Smith did not get a chance to hit. Uh, Travis Darnode was two of four. Jose Camargo, 0 for one in a pinch-hitting appearance. Good to see Camargo playing. And uh, Aracio Arcia pinch-hitting as well. He went 0 for 1, as well as Adeni Adrianza. All the Braves pinch hitters came up short in this one. So the Braves got their offense from the guys that, uh, the, from the usual suspects being Freddie Freeman and Eddie Rosario, and that's who they're going to have to lean on as uh, the Braves look to either close it out tonight in Los Angeles or they do have the added benefit because 
They won their division of two uh, very important games at home to end this series off if push comes to shove later on in the week and moving on into the weekend as games six and seven will be back in Truist Park if the Braves can't get the job done tonight. Um, Of course, this Braves team did lose a 3-1 lead to this Dodgers team last year in the NLCS, but I think uh, with a, you know, actually playing home games rather than being stranded in Texas, I think things might be a little different for the Bravos in games six and seven if it comes to that. Let's go Bravos. All right, we are looking to uh, mix it up. I don't know if we're using that hashtag anymore, but of course, chop on as the Braves look to get that pennant for the first time since 1999, I believe, was the last time the Braves were in the World Series when they lost to the Yankees. So we will see if the Braves can get it done tonight. And if not, uh, I will go refill my blood pressure medication and watch game six and seven back in Atlanta. So uh, that's what we're looking forward to. We're talking Astros and Red Sox on the other side of this break. We've got Bay Marks coming on later in the show to talk uniforms. And we've got some special guests coming up in the second hour. So you aren't going to want to miss it. Keep it right here on WEGL 91.1 FM for some compact discourse. I'm your host, Jack Hart. Joining alongside Davis Carroll, we got Alex coming in the studio. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Davis Carroll and Alex Houston on this fine Thursday morning. Hope you're all staying warm and staying dry as we are expecting a little bit of rain this morning. So please plan accordingly. we got your weather report coming up in just a little bit. But first, let's talk about making it rain in another sense as we jump right over to the National Basketball Association's uh, Real opening night, I guess you could say. I mean, we had the defending champs um, play a little game against the Nets um, the previous night, but I think most teams were in action last night, and there was plenty of excitement to talk about with that, including a double overtime game in Madison Square Garden as the New York Knicks downed the Boston Celtics in double overtime, 138-134. to Um, To be completely candid with you, I stopped watching this one at the end of regulation because I thought a four-point lead would be enough for the Knicks. So um, I did not catch this double overtime. But um, I heard it was pretty exciting, including a good performance by um, Jalen Brown and Boston, even though they came up short in the end. It was Evan Fournier who dazzled in this one uh, to give the Knicks a 1-0 start to the year. Yeah, it was a pretty crazy game. Um, Jason Tatum went 7 for 30. Jalen Brown really carried the load on the Celtics side. And as a <clears throat> Celtics fan I know who watched, who uh, I follow on Instagram, Kimball Walker and Evan Fournier did what they do best and made the Celtics lose. Julius Randle also was really good. Grant Williams got the starting uh, position, or got, got, got the starting role, which I was surprised on. Evidently, it, didn't, it worked out offensively. He was pretty good, but apparently, I didn't watch the game. But apparently, he you do. Was, and also, Kim Walker's on the Knicks now. No, no, that's the. I know okay. that, that's what that's what, sure. that's what that's what the gimmick was. The gimmick was the fact that they showed up on the Knicks and actually played well, compared to how Celtics fans did not like them and they did not play well with the Celtics either time. That 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 was what I was hinting at in that regard. And Grant Williams, who apparently was not very good at stopping Julius Randle, I again did not watch the game, so I cannot attest to whether or not. He was that bad defensively, but 
the Celtics can't seem to really find their way forward these last uh, few years. Since the Kyrie Irving trade, it's kind of been, you know, just keeping their heads above water, trying to, you know, at least get any sort of momentum in the right direction. You've got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, two young players who are really good, but they just can't seem to get it going lately. We'll see if they can figure it out right now. It is only one game, of course, in an 82-game season, but not the start they wanted especially against a team they'll probably face off against in the Eastern Conference playoffs if they both make it. Hmm. And uh, speaking of the Eastern Conference playoffs, I think the 76ers have been the team of the offseason. More specifically, uh, Ben Simmons is your uh, high point of contention for the Sixers. Uh, Ben Simmons, of course, tossed out of practice and then suspended. Uh, The Philadelphia 76ers, not deterred by this, did uh, gather for a team dinner after flying to New Orleans in an effort to clear the air. Uh, apparently, this worked for team morale as they ended up blowing out the Pelicans 117-97 to last night, uh, showing good chemistry. Uh, Joel Embiid scored 22, but uh, Simmons out was out, so backup point guard Shake Milton could not play either because he was injured. So Tyrese Maxey, who you may remember from his time in the SEC, scored 20 points uh, sitting in Simmons' stead. And Corkmaz played out of his typical position in the backup point guard role. Uh, and that, um, the Pelicans fans were also chanting, where has Ben Simmons? So, the NBA is back, baby. It is. And along with that is the Pelicans once again being bad and having a lot of problems. Big free agent, acqui- not free agent acquisition, uh, big acquisition, Jonas Valanciunas lets Joel Embiid score 22 points and Valanciunas himself goes 3 for 19 and Zion Williamson is nowhere to be found due to consistently rehabbing his injury, and latest reports say that the Pelicans are worried that Zion has exceeded 300 pounds during his recovery, which I'm not one to look at a photo and say, ah, yes, it looks like it, because for one, he never looked like he was 285 pounds to begin with, in my opinion. But he does look larger in photos, just for what it is. So, again, I'm not one to say, ah, yes, I I can definitely tell how much somebody weighs based on a photo, right? But... The Pelicans are having some problems, and their first round pick, who is good, right? He's he's not he's, you're not going to put him in bust territory. But if you can't play more than ten seasons for you, where where does that take you, and where does that leave you, really? So the Pelicans got some problems, and for the Sixers, Ben Simmons is mad that everybody tells him he's not good because he's not good at basketball. So now he's mad about that. No. Well, I mean, he's not he's not bad at basketball. Well. Well, Look, be realistic with yourself. If you were in the same position as him, you'd be acting the same way. All of us would. You would not go out there and play with them willingly. When you, when the team has turned on you, the, team, the fan base has turned on you, nobody wants you there, you want out, you know they won't trade you, even though you want to trade, are you going to go in there and start playing like it's just hunky-dory? Well, I mean, like I, I think, I think I, okay, and you're going you're gonna to think this is ridiculous when I say it, I don't think I would have allowed it to get to that point because – you, like the fans and the fans and team, what would have, you have done differently? Um, actually position? adapt and you, learn he's how to tried. play. He, he had Red Brown for the first four years of his career. He has not tried to do anything. My if, point. Look, that that is okay. That but that doesn't matter. Even if he did, who's to say they still want to turn on him? Because Davis, if he was act okay. So but if, look, you, you, oh, so you you're going gonna to start an argument and not allow me to actually listen say to me. anything. Listen to me. Listen to me real quick. You always get mad at me for saying hypotheticals. Yeah. So you're not going to get a hypothetical here. I'll get listen, a hypothetical listen. here. We're looking at it just how it is right now. You are in his position. You would act the same way. I would act the same way. 
I think I think I would. He would, I would not want to be there. I think I would recognize that I played a role in causing it. I'm sure he does, but he doesn't want to be there. It's too late now to fix it. Well, I mean, I don't know what exactly he's supposed to do. I don't know why he would come back and then just because they won't trade that. him. They will not trade him. Well, that, they no, cannot trade him. They're asking for like 20 first round picks. They're not well, going to be able to. They're not. They're not going to get. They're not going to get rid of him for that. He, I mean, he was their number one pick in the draft. I know why they're asking for that, and they want to get. They some just got to be back. realistic with themselves. He knows. He should know that his draft stock or his his trade stocks down. They should be realistic with themselves. Everybody in the league knows it. They're not going to cut him, and he's just going to be stuck there until he gets traded for pennies on the dollar at this rate. I mean, I think the blame goes equally on him as much as it does I'm, on the organization. I'm not saying it isn't. It's his fault, too. But in his position, I would act the same way. I would not want to be there. I would not be happy. I would not act like it's just every other day because it's not. I mean, they don't want you there. The fan base hates you. Your teammates mo- basically hate you as well. Legitimately, what I would do. Like I'm just saying, this you you can tell me, Alex, you wouldn't do that. But like thinking from the best way forward, the best way forward, in my opinion, is for him to play and to raise his draft stock so the Sixers can actually trade him. I don't think playing is going to help him at all. I mean, I I think I think if he actually learns how to shoot, you know, outside of the paint, that would significantly raise his draft. Because that's the problem. The problem. The reason people don't want to trade for Ben Simmons for anything is because of the, because of the fact that. Ben Simmons cannot be a piece. He needs to be the piece. You have to build an entire offense around him because he is so limited offensively. Every other player in the past, every other big draft pick. I mean, Giannis, every single summer comes back shooting the three differently and shooting it better, honestly. Lately, he's been shooting it up. I think in the preseason, he was shooting it pretty well. Ben Simmons has refused to evolve and adapt in any way. He's the exact same player he was his rookie year, but a little better defensively. That is all. And... The fact of the matter is, that's why no one wants to trade for him because there's like maybe two or three teams that he would work on, right? I think I think he could work with the Warriors, but then again, you'd still have to change the offense, right, to fit around him. I don't think he fits anywhere else, and I think that's the problem. Now, that is that is something that he has done. That is not the Sixers for valuing their player that they drafted. That is that his draft stock is down because of him. The Sixers else. are also not known for developing their players very well. I mean, Brett, they, Brown, Brett Brown was their coach. Don't they, forget it, and he let that happen. They've developed they developed Joel Embiid pretty well, I will say. They know. Look, it certainly is a, on. He's in a position that doesn't need to shoot, so he didn't have the. He's the point guard. He played one, one game at point guard, and every other game he's going to play at center. But he, but he doesn't. He doesn't even play a power forward position because he doesn't back down in the post like a power forward. At least Giannis has a post game too. That's the thing is. You're right. You're certainly right in the fact that the Sixers just allowing it to happen is also on them. But the fact is, Simmons did not adapt to be a point guard or adapt I, to be a power forward. He adapted to just be himself. I, I know, and I'm not disagreeing with you there. But the point is, in that in in his position, I don't blame him for how he's acting. I I, I don't necessarily blame him. I just think the only way forward is to play because. He, he's got to raise. What's his draft okay? Stock. What, how's that going to help him? He goes. He goes and plays the same way because he's. We know he's not going to be shooting. Well, he sh- well he should have then. That that's his way forward. He still can. He can still play, but he doesn't. He doesn't want to. Remember when Kyrie didn't play either? He yeah. could have gotten his his uh, his stock up if he played. Uh, ben Simmons is not going to go out there and shoot. He's not. He's just not. That's just not his game. And we got to accept that as a fan as as a collective NBA fan base. He's not going to do it. Get over it. He has his own way. It can work if you work it out. The Timberwolves, it could work certainly if you ask me. Mm, I disagree. 
I, I don't think I don't think it's a, there's uh, so many players in the NBA that cannot shoot. I don't think it's okay. First of all, first of all, there there are players who cannot, and there are players who do not try. Giannis has not been a great three point okay, shooter many times before, but he's someone else tried. besides Giannis. Someone else besides yes, him? Because you always use him, and I want to hear another example. I mean, Jokic did not come in shooting three-pointers and has consistently evolved his game to that. Mm. He came in a very traditional center and has adapted significantly. I'm not going to really agree with that. Why not? Because he, he showed that he could shoot from the start. He just he started out traditional, but then once they realized what he could actually do and they gave him the role... He just started playing like himself is now because they just want him as a traditional center, and he's like, "Oh well, I can actually pass and shoot, and do and, all that." And but he, I mean, but he's he, changed his. The biggest thing he's changed is his step back and his fadeaway, and he's evolved to that. I mean, I also think Anthony Davis is an example, right? Anthony Davis coming out of college was a very traditional power forward center. His best thing at Kentucky was the fact that he blocked everybody and got rebounds, and now he completely adapted his offensive game. The issue is not whether or not. You can shoot the ball. The issue is the fact that Simmons has not shown any interest in improving at all, in changing. He's the same player. Every other player grows and adapts and evolves. But but Simmons has not. I don't think I don't think it's a matter of just accepting that somebody hasn't done anything. I think you've got to realize that he should have done something. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not disagreeing with that. Everybody knows he should have done something. But the fact of the matter is he's still a good player. And teams acting like... Teams acting like, oh, maybe if we get him, we're gonna make him shoot. Get over no, they're that. Not, they're not acting like it. The fact is, he doesn't fit with most teams because he doesn't have a post game either. He has nothing. He he's does a, have stuff. He's Alex. a he's a positionless player. You can't put him anywhere. Yeah, you put him at point guard, and he plays point guard, and then you have all your other players around him shoot. Davis, I just, I just, you just mentioned earlier how um, I, I said how he couldn't play point guard because he can't shoot, and you said he played point guard one time. Now no, you just, said Embiid played point guard, no, and I that's didn't. what I was talking you about. Did. Simmons. I was talking about Embiid oh, well, and how he wasn't supposed to shoot. And you went, Embiid plays point guard. I, I, and he played point I, guard I was, for like I said one. Simmons. Play. I was talking about. No, Simmons. you did not. I did not I'm say, telling I you, I would have said that's why I was talking about how he's playing center. Nah, I, I mean, it's just it's a whole mess. Is I think the general understanding. Who do you think trades for him? Timberwolves. He can actually work on that team. Well, who do who do the Timberwolves give up for him? They can give away they can give away like a second round draft pick at this rate. They oh yeah, that's true. The Sixers are out to get rid of him. Good point. All right. Well, at this point, uh, Joel Embiid is completely out on Ben Simmons. He says, "quote I don't care about that man. He does whatever he wants, and that's not my job." So, I think we will take the same attitude and head to a quick break. And when we come back, got plenty to get to here on Compact Discourse, including inviting. Bay, Jacob, maybe both of them into the show to discuss uniforms as we are moving rapidly towards the latest edition of Uniform Factor. So stick around for that one. Pull up the YouTube live stream if you're not watching and uh, get ready to watch us debate on some upcoming uniforms. Best looks from on and off the field this season from your favorite sports teams, including Bay's Green Bay Packers. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with some more Compact Discourse. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Davis Carroll, Alex Houston, and now Bay Marks, uh, welcoming you into the show. It's the bottom of the hour, 8.34 a.m., so that is time for your War Eagle weather update. It's 66 degrees and mostly cloudy here on the plains. we got a 69% chance of rain 
before 9 a.m. today. High of 76, low of 64. It's going to be partly cloudy, but expect some rain here in a little bit. Looking at the radar, it looks like uh, rain blowing in from the southwest. So plan accordingly if you're in the Auburn Opelika area. Uh, 69 degrees this morning with uh, showers. Sun's going to come out this afternoon. We're going to have some thunderstorms this evening when it cools off to 67 degrees. 50% chance of rain and an overnight temp of 65. So please plan accordingly for that rain forecast if you are in our area this morning on this fine Thursday. At this point, I'd like to welcome in Bay Marks to the show. Bay, how are you feeling? I'm good. Thank you for having me on, Jack. Uh, you know how much I love Compact Discourse was listening into it uh, this morning on my way in. Loved the uh, Dodgers Brave, uh, Dodgers Braves uh, talk y'all had, and uh, I was very eager to get on the show this morning. Eager indeed. Um, would you like to discuss anything before we jump right into the uniforms while we're all here? Anything but the Boston Red Sox last night. Okay, noted. <laughs> all right, uh, we'll jump right in. Let's go. In that case, so uh, let me just find my, my big orange button. We don't have the black Tennessee uniforms this week. No. Okay. Just Thank sure. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I thought we talked about him last week. I'm, I was making fun of him. Hey. Oh look. yeah. Good. <laughs> look, I want to get out to talk about the Sean Taylor situation. Alex will find something to get mad about. We'll see. All right. If you really want to hear him you, get mad, you really want. Mm-mm. No, you don't. No, you don't. I you, do. You don't want to hear about that factor one. Factor is a term I learned in my occupational safety and ergonomics class. Does powder blue ever look bad? Ever? Absolutely not. I can't name one team. <laughs> That's the worst helmet I've ever seen. I mean, part of the fun of throwbacks is that we're all in on the joke that they look terrible. Bird is awful, but the jerseys themselves are sick. Dude, this is clean, man. Hey, any, any thoughts on this Browns Broncos matchup, Carter? The game itself, the uniforms, and that's right, the uniforms. So we'll jump right in uh, with the first uniform of the day. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to surprise myself. Oh, of course, it is Arizona State and what they wore against Utah uh, this past weekend. Um, that is their road uniform with their uh, gold uh, gold pitchforks on their helmets. Uh, gold numbers on their helmets, white face masks, burgundy lids, and burgundy pants with the white shirts, uh, burgundy letters with the gold trim. Um, pretty great road look for Arizona State. They've worn this look uh, kind of before, as you can see in the bottom left of our graphic. Um, you can check out what we're looking at uh, on the video live stream on our YouTube page. That's WEGL 91.1 on YouTube. Or you can go to uniswag.com and check out where we source all of these pictures. Or you can additionally go to the respective team's social media pages is where we get all of the pictures. So uh, they've worn this look in some capacity before, uh, but they have added the golden numbers on the left side of the helmet and a white face mask to the look. And I thought... It looked really good under the lights when they took on Utah last Saturday. So I'd love to get your opinion on uh, what Arizona State was wearing uh, this weekend. I've always liked uh, Arizona State's uniform combinations, always how they've got the pitchfork into the helmet. And once again, it's a good one. I like the white face mask. It's certainly different. Traditionally, you see a white face mask blended with an all-white uniform and a white helmet. This is different, but I like it that way. Um, Yeah, these are just really good. They've got... A pretty great color scheme, and they really make it work every single time they make jerseys, and this is another case. It's simple, but really, you know, another unique look for them, which I think that's a lot of teams are trying to get simple uniforms that also stand out, and this is another good example of that. Overall, just really good uniforms. At first glance, it kind of, like, if 
if I didn't know it was Arizona State, I think it was like an alternate like Washington football team uniform, uh, just due to the colors. Um, or like Minnesota, I would say yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, and these helmets also remind me of like in the light. They're like Jack mentioned. Um, I believe they were going for the look of their red helmets, but in the light they shine more of that gold tone that is one of their colors. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of it was LSU, I believe. I don't know if they're no, they weren't facing Auburn, but it was back in like 2016 or 2017, maybe even a little more recent. They had the helmets the pur- that also under the light the purple colors. helmets. Yeah, yes. yeah. I was yeah. like, uh, so yeah, I remember those. I think that was against Mississippi State. That's what these kind of reminded me of. But um, like Jack mentioned earlier, when he was introducing the uniforms, I think that those white face masks on top of that concept really kind of put a nice finishing touch on the upper half of the uniform. Overall, I don't really have any complaints about these, and they look very, very solid. Yes, those right there. That's exactly what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Um, another detail, mm. if you look closely on these, is that at the you know crown of the face mask, you can see PT42, which is, of course, for the Pat Tillman Foundation that they always wear with these helmets. So good to see that on the Arizona State uniforms. All about the details is uh, Adidas and Arizona State. They put together some real winners so far for Arizona State this season. I've liked what Adidas has been doing in, in all of uh, the Power Five schools, but especially Arizona State. I do think this is the okay. second time we've talked about them. Do you guys remember the Arizona State helmets that they unveiled like a few years back where it was like a cloud-type helmet and then the pitchfork was like a lightning bolt through it or whatever? It was really cool. I'd recommend Googling it if you can. It, that was like that was one of their first when they kind of re-entered the uniform game because like a lot of teams had really basic uniforms in the early and late 2000s and then – Arizona State was like, what if we did this cloud type of thing? And it was really different compared to a lot of other. And still, I haven't seen them wear anything else really like it since then. That's just one. For anybody listening or people right here, you can look it up because I think it's a really cool. I remember the, uh, find it. Like the fire helmets they wore, I think, in the night game against USC. Maybe it was a fire. I don't, I, I've, only, I've only seen it like one time. But Something really interesting, too, real quick for before we move on, Jack, is I believe that this is the captain patch in the picture I'm looking at of their quarterback. Mm-hmm. But the captain C is encompassed around it is the outline of the state of Arizona, which is kind of unique. You don't really see that a lot. Yeah, that's super cool. Uh, yeah, all about the details is Adidas. So uh, I really like – I think Alex has mentioned it on the show before, but, you know, big logos, especially when you're mm-hmm. – uh, as, as someone who's done a lot of graphic design work with uh, college football logos, Arizona State has one of the trickiest logos to work with considering it's about seven times taller than it is wide. It's just a big, long pitchfork. So the fact that they're able to integrate it so well into these helmets, uh, it's really cool. And I like these a lot, which is why I don't think these are necessarily new or exciting. Uh, There wasn't a lot of buzz about these, but I thought they were worth kind of pulling out of obscurity to talk about today. All right, moving right along, we're going to talk about the Cleveland Browns. Now, you may be wondering, uh, these are the Browns jerseys they always wear. Uh, That's where you're wrong. On the bottom left of our graphic, you'll see what the Brown, when the Browns changed their uniforms in 2020, when they fixed them, I might add, from when they were bad, um, they unveiled these four looks. And you may notice something very striking is that they are missing orange pants, which, if you ask me, is one of the defining features of the Cleveland Browns, that they wear orange pants. Um, but they rectified that situation last season against the Bengals when they played the Bengals on prime time, and they will be correcting that situation once again when they take on the Broncos on Thursday night football, the Browns will, for the first time this season, be rolling out the orange pants with the brown shirts for their home game against the Broncos. And I think it's worth mentioning because this is big uniform news. I, I've always been a big fan of this uh, rebrand. I think the Cleveland Browns and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were victims of the Seattle Seahawks uniform change because the Seahawks went very dramatic. If you look at their 
early 2000s Matt Hasselback era versus what they look like now. Very dramatic change for the Seahawks, and the Buccaneers and Browns both thought that'd be a good idea. So they updated their uniforms, and I'm going to be honest, they were the worst uniforms I think I've ever seen. Both the Browns, uh, like 2017-2019 uniforms, yeah. and the Bucks as well. And both both teams returned to their classics uh, this past year, the past two years, and I'm really glad the Browns did. Their color scheme is not the best in the league, but I like the simplicity of their uniforms that they've updated to now, and the brown shirt with the orange pants is just perfect. It's classic. It's what they wore during the Bernie Kosar 80s era, where they were having all that success. I like it. I think this is really a good step for them to go back to the original because their updated ones were awful, terrible. Yeah, and it's a perfect look for, you know, uh, an early autumn game. You got the orange, you got the brown, you got, you know, the perfect combination, I think. To, it looks really good under the lights, too, and it, they will be wearing them against the Broncos on Thursday Night Football tonight. Definitely. I think just a bigger thing was also um, kind of talk about the recent history of the Browns was – they had those uniform concepts that they had when they were obviously 1-15 and then 0-16, I believe, the back-to-back years. Um, and they went through that whole, not rebrand, um, but redesign, I guess you could say, trying to go back to a more traditional look and traditional roots, um, which in recent years they've kind of had one of the better uniform changes in the NFL. We've seen a good un- a few uniform changes, um, but they really hit the nail on the head with theirs. Um, and I think this is actually going to be a really clean look. There's not much to say about it on me or from me on my part, but um, I really think it's going to look good, like Jack said, uh, yeah, on Thursday Night Football. I hope the Broncos wear the blue pants. You rarely see those, but, you know, if we're going crazy, let's go crazy. Also, I will say, in, in doing uh, some research, I did find that the Browns also introduced some 75th anniversary uniforms in the summer that they're going to be wearing sometimes this season. Maybe we can talk about that on a future episode because they look really cool. Well, I like, real quick, that you mentioned that. I really appreciate when teams wear contrasting colors. Like, a lot of times you see teams – that have an alternate helmet, but both teams wear white helmets or something of the similar, or white pants when one team could wear a different color. Mm. So I think that'd be cool if they did what Jack just said. All right, we'll see what runs out of the tunnel tonight on Thursday Night Football. We've got a lot to get to on the next segment of Uniform Factor, including the Miami Knights uniforms for the Miami Hurricanes. We've got Dartmouth, if you believe it or not. We're pulling out of the FCS for this next one. And Bay's Green Bay Packers have rolled out some throwbacks that we have just got to talk about. So... All that and more on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with some more Uniform Factor and some more compact discourse on the other side of this break. I've got Bay Marks and I've got Alex Houston and Davis Carroll hanging out with me in the studio. We'll be back in about two minutes with some more compact discourse. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Davis Carroll, Bay Marks, and Alex Houston. We are right in the thick of uniform factor, so we're just going to jump right back in. If you're just listening to us, we encourage you to start watching on the uh, YouTube live stream. That's YouTube, WEGL 91.1 on YouTube. Look for that orange and blue eagle logo for our live stream. Or if you're driving around your car, just make a mental note of that and watch it later. You can watch all of the video live streams as a video on demand right from our YouTube page. So just keep that in mind as you're uh, going about your morning this fine Thursday. All right, plenty to get to, so we'll just jump right back in. um, And we'll pick up with Dartmouth, who has embraced their their uh their their pine their pine tree 
heritage. I don't know if, what the best uh, way to lead into this is, but I thought these were super cool. I think Dartmouth has one of the most iconic helmets in college football, right up there with you know Michigan as being just not just the logo on the helmet, having some you know like an old school uh, remnants of the leather helmet look to it, as I included on our slide today. But they have opted to go for a more traditional, but in fact, uh, a bit non-traditional at the same time, look for their game against Columbia this upcoming Saturday in the Ivy Leagues. And uh, embracing the plant theme, they have gone with the big lone pine on the side of the helmet, uh, an enlarged logo, as Alex is a fan of, going all the way from the straps to the crown of the helmet. This big pine tree uh, encompasses pretty much the entire helmet on both sides. The uh, I don't know what the technical term is for this, the back of the helmet, where it usually has some text. I know in recent years, teams have been putting their, their slogan there, but uh, they've, they've added the woods, which is uh, an, a, a reference to Dartmouth's uh, green campus, where they get their nickname from, the Mean Green. Um, and then they've also added a kind of like a shiny green face mask to this look. So Nike is behind this one. And I thought it was worth mentioning because it's not too often that the Ivy Leagues change up their uniforms. So I'd love to get your opinions on this one. What does the, uh, on the crown of the helmet 1769 reference? I would assume because it's Dartmouth, probably when the university was founded. Okay. I believe so. Yeah. And I did just look up uh, some history. So the Lone Pine is actually a reference to a tree that stood on campus for 150 years and was a gathering place for seniors. It was torn down. It was taken down in 1895 due to lightning and wind damage. Then it was... Um, put in like the Tree Hall of Fame, which is a thing, and the United States uh, Forestry, uh, whatever, acknowledge it as a famous tree. This is like so. Auburn wearing like a Tumor's Oak Tree uniform, it, except very, that tree went down due to natural causes. This yeah. one, did they replant went it? Down, replant um, one? As as far as I can tell, it doesn't seem like they did. I think I think Lame. it's, but I mean that I just mean, shows that's... that just shows the history of Dartmouth is the fact that they are putting a logo on their helmet to reference something from 125 years ago that was already there for 150 years. The history of these Ivy Leagues is unreal, That's truly. a tough act to follow it is. that next tree. I, I love it. Does the bottom of the leaf go over the ear hole on both sides? Yes. Okay, yeah. that's that's something that I notice immediately looking at these. That's kind of off-putting to me. but um, I think that might, might vary helmet to helmet, though, because it's the same sticker and there's like 30 right. different helmet types, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's actually a really cool look. Uh, the only thing I'd change, I think the leaf on the shoulder cup is a little little awkward just sitting right there. Um, I think that might be the only thing I'd change. Overall, I don't really have a lot of complaints. They look very sleek and clean. Um, and like Jack said, it's not often that Ivy League school really changes their uniforms because they're very traditionalistic. Um, so I like them. Yeah, I, I like them too. I think the large logo is great. I like the big captain C patch or or C captain patch. I mean, on the uh on the right shoulder pad, which that goes with the very classic uh, Ivy League uniforms that haven't changed very much. I think it's great. I mean, I really just like these teams acknowledging the fact they have so much history with like their football programs and then doing it like this. It's perfect. It looks more like a fern than a pine to me, but otherwise, I like it. Hmm. <laughs> That's you would just be, saying. You would be what the one to point you that would out. Be. Well, it, looks, I, it looks like a fern. I, I, I wouldn't have. I mean, so Jack. But, yeah. You also said that Dartmouth has like the one of the best helmets in college football. What is their traditional helmet? Oh wait, yeah, I found it. It's on the top right. Uh, you can look up I, any yeah. other Dartmouth uniform. So is it the one where it's the D in the middle and the the bands? Yeah. Like oh, a, I like that. It kind of harkens back to ye olde helmets, like Michigan does. Wow. Okay. That's those are cool. I like that a lot. Actually, that's great. 
yeah. So uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll move right along from this one. Not too much to talk about there, but worth noting uh, in uniform news. All right, let's jump right ahead to these Packers throwback uniforms. I know Bay, uh, this is this is on your radar considering that Packers are your team. Alex, these are on your radar as well, considering they will be wearing them against your Washington football team. I won't be watching. This upcoming Sunday. So Nike has done it again. Um, These are 50-year throwbacks, so throwing back to 1971. Is that right? Uh, I'm I'm trying to find the – okay, I'm trying to find the description. It's for the team's success in the 60s and beyond. Oh, well, Hmm. how very vague of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, we mentioned this in the break, and, I mean, well, first of all, from a holistic standpoint, looking at it in the macro perspective, these uniforms are just, they are beautiful. I mean, they're simple. They're a great honor um, and a great throwback to those teams in the 50s and 60s. Um, the gray face mask is a subtle touch that I really like because it does give that sort of throwback look. Auburn did that in memory of Pat Sullivan in the Outback Bowl a few years ago because um, that's what all the teams wore back then were a gray face mask. So overall, these look really good, really simple and clean and a great throwback. But one thing I did mention to Alex, and this is this is the actual jersey substance for me that I have a problem with, is the fact that I think the Packers are the only team in the National Football League who you can see through their uniforms. Like, And these are an alternate uniform, and you can still see through them. I mean, you can see through their regular home uniforms and see their shoulder pads like we're literally in 1950. So that's just a huge problem I've always had with my Packers. But nonetheless, uh, I really like the unis. I think it's very much keeping with their classic look is why they intentionally do that because I think they could obviously update them as we've seen Nike design uniforms for every other team under the sun and it doesn't it doesn't matter like they they've they've updated I think the Packers intentionally do it the reverse I like these a lot I think I think it's honestly I think they should adopt them as their new color rush uniforms I think that yeah like, that there's normally just a pair of white pants like I think I think these are these are really good like as in they should adopt them full time for that purpose um yeah, it's just I've always loved the Packers throwbacks. A lot of people have hated on them because they're ugly, but the fact is the Packers have stuck to what they looked like. A lot of teams will attempt to just update it like, oh, it's a throwback. Like a modern throwback. Exactly. These are the, a real the, the Packers every single time and like, we're gonna take exactly what we wore in nineteen forty three and we're gonna put it on a new uniform, we're gonna wear it. And everybody's like, That looks stupid. I'm fine with it. Now, the Bumblebee Steelers, different story, but these like and like all the other ones, the Packers throwbacks have always been good, and this is another great example. The numbers on the the huge numbers on the back are I think is a really Wait, cool touch. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen the back. Hold the no, uh, numbers on the back are relatively larger than the ones on the front. Let me let me see if I can find. Do you do you have a do you have a picture you can show me? Because I can find any. Whoa. Okay. Yep. I like that too. That's just another good detail. Okay. Yeah. These are good. Davis. I mean, I don't really have much to add. I like them. I do like how you can kind of see through them. Mm. The little throwback. It's not obviously not on the whole thing. It's just like on one area on the chest. They just, I'm just saying, like, even, like, their normal uniforms. Yeah, I don't mind that. Yeah. I think it – Really? I, was, I wouldn't mind if players started wearing crop tops again. I think it would look cool. Like, we can see, like, the pads under Expose them. Expose the tummy. Yeah, where, where, where it looked like Bo Jackson was wearing, like, a size extra small yeah. jersey half the time. I think those look pretty cool. I, that's not going to happen, obviously. No. I, I, I like the aesthetic of old football. Mm. Like, the big pads. Like, the kind of the see-through jerseys. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, I, I do think this this pic, one picture we have of the one player with the green socks, the yellow cleat, and the yellow gloves just really brings the whole look together. So I hope most of the team is wearing that when they take on the Washington football team on Sunday. I think it could look pretty awesome. I'm also a little perturbed why the uh, um, the Washington football team didn't wait another week to wear their throwback uniforms because we could have had a you know an all time matchup of of the vintage teams. 
Yeah, well, it was you know it was homecoming weekend, and they had a lot of plans in place. Jack, they they were planning that stuff for weeks. All right. Really, not not planning enough barriers around uh, to keep Jackson Mahomes away, though. So. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna we ended off uh, with black jerseys last week, and everything went smoothly. So we'll do the same this week. You're funny, um, as the Miami Knights have returned in South Beach for the Miami Hurricanes this time with an updated helmet. Uh, now, these are the all-black uniforms that Miami debuted, I want to say, in 2019 um, with some orange numbers, a kind of, you know, uh, Art Deco wavy shoulder pad, uh, orange numbers on the shoulders, and orange stripes up the pants. So these made by Adidas, of course. Um, but a new twist has been thrown. Uh, the pictures I have on my slide, uh, all the, the full-body pictures are from those 2019 uh, promotional shots, but they've only unveiled the helmet they'll be wearing with them so far this season. So it looks like everything's the same except for the helmet. The helmet, the stripe, is now better reflecting the shoulder pad, and they have added something I think I've never seen before, which is a orange metallic face mask to uh, complete the look this year for the Miami Knights uniforms. They'll be wearing these against NC State this upcoming weekend, I believe. Uh well, I'm not 100% sure. I think Oregon State might have broken out a uh, metallic orange face mask, but they're so bad nobody pays attention to them. Fair enough. Um, but I really like how you pointed out the fact that they went ahead and switched the helmet stripe um, to be more consistent with the shoulder pads. We all know I really like consistency in a uniform. I know these are called night night game you know these are the night game uniforms but do we know for a fact that their game it is a night game this weekend i would hope so i'm gonna google it right now because Uh, under the lights i would really i think the only thing i would change i really like these overall i think 30 p.m kick okay yeah the only thing i would change about them because i really like them overall is i might have thrown just a splash of white on the number since it is a night game it's tough at night even with all the bright lights to see on top of a black uniform those orange numbers um, so just a little splash of white would have been nice for me, but I don't have many complaints about them. How, I, do, how do you feel about no no names on the back? I, mm, I really don't like it. Uh, well, I guess it's fine sometimes, but I feel like with these it could have been a cool touch, like white names. I think that would have been really cool. Mm-hmm. Now, my point about teams with black not being in the color scheme, just randomly saying, I guess this is cool, still stands. However, these are significantly better designed than Tennessee. For one, their helmet doesn't suck. And additionally... They actually incorporate a lot of the team colors in this one. The old black uniforms they wore in like 2017 that were just black uniforms with a white number, those were annoying. But these, I really like the incorporation of the team colors. I like the orange uh, or orange metallic face mask. I like the stripes on the helmet. I like the stripes on the shoulder pads. It's a lot better put together uniform and a lot more incorporating the team colors rather than just, oh, yeah, we have black jerseys too, which is what half the programs try and do, Tennessee. So I like them a lot better. They should have kept the duck on the visor. Yes. The old duck visor that they had That's on the old one thing. ones. I want, I want more um, Miami uniforms incorporating the duck uh, like mascot in general. Like how Kansas always like uses the massive Jayhawk and stuff like that. It's fun. Why not? Or like how how um, Minnesota's used huge golden gopher logos. Like why not? It seems might as well. Like I, I mean, for, for the non-traditional teams that have non-traditional uniforms, why not change it up is all. All right. Before you send us an angry tweet, um, we know it's an IBIS. I think they were just joking. Um. But oh, I think that will do it for Uniform Factor today. I want to thank Bay Marks for joining us for this exciting episode of Uniform Factor. I think it was a very productive. Um, I think we, we got a lot done today. We accomplished a lot, and uh, we discussed everything. I'll be honest with you, the news was a little sparse this week, but I'm glad we were able to uh, 
uh, of course, once once I brought it to the council, it seems that everything was resolved post-haste. So thank you for joining me today. And uh, we are going to have to head to a quick break, as it is the top of the hour, 9 a.m. So please stick around for the second half of the show. Plenty of surprises coming up, including some members of the African Students Union will be joining us to talk about their jams night on Saturday. That's coming up later on in the second hour. So don't go anywhere. Plenty of surprises throughout the second hour of the show. I'm Jack Hard, joined alongside Alex Davis and Bay. Keep it right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. Good morning, Auburn, and welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex and Davis, joined by the other half of the scoreboard now, Jacob Hillman, welcoming Jacob into the show for this second hour for a little bit today on this Thursday morning. Of course, scoreboard is going to be later on this afternoon right here on WEGL. You aren't going to want to miss it, Uh, so keep that in mind as you go about your day. Um, Jacob, how are you feeling today? How do you feel about the weather? I think is, is the question I need to ask you. Well, you know, first of all, it's been a while since I've been on Compact Discourse in the morning, so happy to be back. But, I mean, it's my, it might rain later today, so that, that's disappointing. But, I mean, like, soon. But no, other than that, you know. Yeah, my, it, my windows has given me the little umbrella. The so. temperature the temperature's fine, so I'm happy with that. No golf for Hillman today. Probably not. Probably not. Not on the cards. No. All right. Um, well, welcome back to the second hour of the show. If you want to listen to the first hour, plenty of great discussion. You can listen to our podcast, completely PSA break free, wherever you get your podcasts. I just search for Compact Discourse on Spotify, and it's right there. It gets uploaded after the show every single day. You can also follow us on Twitter at CDiscAU. That is at C-D-I-S-C-A-U. If you would like to join the conversation about anything we are talking about so far, if you want to weigh in on any of those uniforms we talked about in the last hour, we'd love to hear your opinion on that. You can also follow the station w-e-g-l underscore a-u on twitter instagram and tiktok for all of the updates on what sports broadcasts we are doing what events we have going on and just general fun stuff that the staff is cooking up for you including uh, auburn stages tonight audiophile with special guest pacemaker from 5 to 8 p.m that is on the campus green uh, presented by weagle 91.1 and the cadc here at Auburn University. Thank you to Dylan for getting that all set up. That is, of course, tonight, October 21st, 2021. Audio file on the campus green. Music starts at 5.30, but get there for a good seat at 5 p.m. Um, there is a rain contingency, so just bear with us. All the information is on Weagle underscore AU. And also UPC is having a movie night at Plainsman Park. That is Quiet Place Part 2. Um, Alex Davis, any thoughts on Quiet Place Part 2? I actually saw it in theaters um, <clears throat> this summer. Uh, pretty, pretty good in terms of it's clearly building a universe forward, and like 
it, I was surprised how much it built off the first one because the first one really felt standalone esque. But I liked it a lot actually. Do you think it would translate well to being played in a baseball stadium? Uh, no, I mean I, I don't know. I, I won't be there. But you guys have to let me know. All right. Only one way to find out, and that is uh, by going to a Quiet Place Part Two presented by UPC and Tiger Knights. That is going to be at Planted Park tonight, 7 p.m. Um, probably free popcorn and drinks. There usually is at these UPC movie nights. Um, all you got to do is have your Auburn student ID, and they will let you right in, free for all Auburn students. All right, that's enough of that. We'll jump right in to the show. Um, Alex, you have some news for us about the conference realignment. Is oh, yes. Here? So uh, the conference, U- or the American Conference, in response to the loss of, I think, UCF, Cincinnati, and a third team. Who's the third team that's leaving for the Big 12? Do you guys remember? BYU. Did you say BYU? Well, no, BYU's independent. So I'm trying to is figure it, out who the third team is leaving the American. Houston? It's it's um, UCF, Cincinnati, and... Is it Houston? Yes, because they added yes. the extra Texas school. Right. So the American has responded in kind by going to the Conference USA for a, a pool of teams, including UAB and UTSA, both good good picks. But then Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, and Rice. So, which are duds, in my opinion. So what I'll say about UTSA is, I mean, it feels like this is kind of the first year they've been good. True. Now, the thing about Charlotte is, I think they're on the come up. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's as bad as you say. UAB is a great pick. UAB, it's time for them to move forward after they're everything that's happened big, in their history. Big, big fish in a little pond right now. Right. Yeah. The other programs, I mean... It's hard to say for me. I, I I think I think they should have gone to the Sun Belt for some of the. I think they should have gone to the Sun Belt and they should have stolen App State and they should have stolen Coastal Carolina. I mean, yes. Which I imagine but, they said no. But also, do I think Conference USA is better than Sun Belt at this point? No, I I think I think that, but I think overall yes. But I think if you're the American is the Group of Five conference is the conference where UCF, USF, Memphis, and Cincinnati all went like 10-3 one year and beat each other, and it was the craziest year ever. That's yeah, what they do. That's their the, gimmick. It's the conference that invented and, the term power six. And, and the fact is, I, the fact is I, believe, I believe that the Cincinnati will run up the score on half of these teams that they've added, which doesn't do much for the conference. I think they should have gone to the lower conferences and the teams in the lower conferences need to acknowledge the fact that the bigger conferences are only going to get bigger and stronger, so you've got to do the same. Adding a Coastal Carolina, adding an App State, I think were two options that they should have considered. I think, I, I just think those are their two best because uh, they they couldn't go Mountain West. They tried to go Mountain West, but the Mountain West teams don't want to leave because they like having their territory. Because the Mountain West is essentially unobstructed in terms of they rule that entire area in terms of football. So that's why. And the MAC is also pretty low, but I think they should have gone to the Sun Belt and gotten App State and Coastal Carolina, but. Who knows? Maybe it'll work out. Because, again, Cincinnati was bad a few years ago because Butch Jones had him at 4-8, and, and now look at where they are. So I could be wrong. But I just think they're, they should have taken a bigger swing considering what the Big 12 took a pretty big swing as well. I think my thing about the Sun Belt is just I really think there are three programs in that conference that are worth moving around. It's yeah. App State, Coast Carolina, and Louisiana. The issue is do we really know because of how bad the rest of the conference is? Troy's been good. George State's been decent. George Southern's been decent. All these teams, South Alabama as well, Louisiana Monroe about a decade ago. But the issue is they all have their two or three years where they're good, and then they fall off the map. Fair. Is the same going to happen to Coastal? Is the same going to happen to Louisiana? Because I guarantee you their coach is Billy Napier at Louisiana, and can't think of the Coastal Carolinas coach off the top of my head. But both of them were obviously high candidates for 
major college football coaching jobs. And I know Billy Napier is probably at the top of that LSU list. Yeah. That definitely. coastal coach will be gone soon. And when they're gone, what's going to happen to those programs? I know you can say the same about the programs they brought in, but I just don't have faith in a Sunbelt team with longevity uh, being towards the top of a conference. That's fair. That's fair. But even then, I think, I think you know, you, may, you, you maybe should have gone the independent route and gotten Liberty. Again, Liberty, you could make the argument what happens to you freeze, but Liberty's yeah. been a consistent 6-6 six and six team anyway. There's, it's still early in their history to say what could happen to them. It, they're still a young FBS program, and that's why. I just think they need to make a splash, and I think perennial bad programs was not the way to go. Right, yeah. I would say in no way is any of these programs a splash. No. Yeah. I mean, UAB is the biggest one, and no one really cares. Right. I mean, I, Rice gets you, a, gets you a bigger foothold in Texas, I guess, which is part of their thinking. Well, but, I think part of their thinking is we can have as many Texas teams as possible. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I, I just I just don't think it was the right decision. for. Then again, I could be wrong because, again, these teams have all proved me wrong in the past. There's been a lot of crazy teams. But, I mean, it, let's see. They're losing. They're losing. Again, it's Cincinnati and Houston and UCF, right? Yes. Okay. I mean, then that they do have to fill in the void that it's going to be Memphis and SMU. Like I, I it's it the the American is kind of in trouble right now unless the programs some of the programs there can turn it around. But I don't know. It's just it's certainly not, I don't think, ideal for them. Well, the good thing for them is UTSA is probably gonna get a lot of viewership. I think what is the no first weekend of November they play UTEP. I mean, I think there's a chance that if both of them win their next games, Game days at UTSA. Yeah, but I say UTEP is like six and one right now. U- UTEP is this team they should have grabbed from uh, from the. Why, why grab Rice in North Texas? Grab UTEP again. again it's a one time thing, but yeah. I why not? I mean, why not make a splash while you can? Because again, North Texas is not exactly perennial, and neither is Rice. Is even being good, so why not go ahead and, and make the change now? Well, looking at their hit, I mean, they've been eight and twenty eight until this point. Until this season, okay. Well, their, that, their head coach again. That that's that is fair. Like again, I I certainly could be wrong. I just think at a certain point, if you're going to get North Texas and Rice, why not just say forget it? Let's get a team that's making a bit of a bigger statement right now. I don't know. That's just yeah. I understand that. I get that. All right, well, we've got to head to a quick break. When we come back, there's plenty more to get to in the sports world, including the American League Championship Series, which. Uh, Boston on the ropes after a disappointing performance last night. You didn't let Bay talk about it. Uh, he his Apple Watch started beeping, and I just really I didn't know how to handle that. Uh, okay. So, um, yeah, we'll get to that after a quick break. Uh, we'll get Helmet away on that, and potentially the uh, Bravos with a chance to close it out tonight. Knock on wood. Uh, we'll continue talking about that and a whole lot more on some compact discourse. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in about two minutes with some more of the show. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Jacob Hillman and Alex Houston now as we chug right along in this second hour of the show. It's 9.19 a.m. on the 21st of October, year 2021. And uh, 
late in October can mean only one thing, that is playoff baseball. So we will jump right in to what transpired last night. If you want to hear the recap of the National League Championship Series Game 4, you can uh, bump on over to that first hour by listening to our podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. That was the first segment of the show. Um, a little more enthused about the game than I was yesterday, if I'm being completely honest with you. Um, but uh, we'll talk about that, uh, I assume, a little bit and a little bit. So, but we got to talk about the Houston Astros, who um, exploded for a five-run sixth inning to send the Red Sox um, to desperation time as they take a 3-2 series lead in the American League Championship Series as this series takes a day off and then heads back to Houston for two more games as the Astros look to make their first World Series since 2019 after a year off. And uh, what's uh, I guess the story here is uh, Chris Sale getting the loss. He went 5-1, uh, two earned runs, seven strikeouts. He did his job, you know, two walks. Uh, Valdez gets the win, eight innings uh of perf of, of of one walk one earned run five strikeouts for valdez so the biggest question mark for the astros in this series was the pitching and valdez answered the call and really uh made things happen for the astros um two pitchers used in a playoff game has been absolutely unheard of in these championship series considering most uh teams are using six and seven so <laughs> if that or um at the very least rather yeah. so um, the Astros really give their pen some work, and they are in a great spot to close things out in Houston coming up as the uh, Red Sox had to burn six arms to the Astros, too. I think that's a, you know, the story for that game, you were correct, but I, I, I really think it just stems from the end of game four, it was, or yeah. game five, excuse me. Impossible four, to ignore yeah. that. I mean, you just, you, there was no way the Red Sox were winning last night, in my opinion. There was no way. Because the amount of momentum that those, the Altuve home run and that ninth inning bring and carry over is insurmountable, in my opinion. You, you just can't really deal with it. And I think Chris Sale did a good job of it. But it, after, after that, it was just, mm, you, can't, you can't do much if you're the Red Sox. And they, they are not winning two in Houston. Yeah. I mean, I told Chris last night that if any team's going to do it, it's going to be the Red Sox. But yeah, I agree even then, it's... Man, they have the offensive firepower, but as you said, I mean, it, do they have the pitching? I don't think they do. Yeah, I mean, it, it like it really, I think, cannot be overstated just how much the Houston Astros continue to. I don't want to say defy the odds necessarily, but everyone said they've cheated. They're nothing. They yeah. shouldn't. They I'm shouldn't be you. able to do this. They've also got Dusty Baker, who is a perennial, does not know how to win in the playoffs. Right now, they're up three two. Right, they they might make the World Series. Dusty Baker made. It to the ALDS or not the I think it was the NLDS twice with the Washington Nationals. He got fired because he didn't get far enough, right? And now they're even doing that, and they're winning with him. Like the Astros, they win regardless. It seems it's just insane. Like, and it's it's certainly not like I just I like it really. I mean, I remember after all the firestorm, it was like that was all they did. You know, without it, they're useless. I mean, they they're clearly not as far as. We know right now, unless of course some other scandal breaks out in the next few years, which I doubt. But it's—I mean—I don't think it can be overstated just how much they've proved everybody wrong. It, like, yeah, you could not write a better response to the cheating scandal than just go win some more and win some more and win some more. I'm with you because it's hard to, you know, obviously. I mean, th this is 
a bit of a take. It's hard not to respect it. It's hard not to respect. I mean, that might yeah. not be that hot of a take, but I feel like people hate the Astros so much. I do not like the Astros, but if they go out and win the World Series, and I mean, I bet they're not cheating as hard as they were a few years ago because obviously all the eyes are on them. People are looking for it. it it's it's hard not to respect it. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I mean, mean, coming off the, the World Series win, uh, they're now on their fifth straight at least championship series, Yeah, looking to make their third World Series in this five-year playoff span. And, I mean, you can't. You can't chalk that all up to cheating. And what's and what's frustrating is that's probably the best playoff performance of any team over yeah, this five year span. It, it, in fact, it right, definitely is. Right. If, if at that point you're thinking, do they really need to cheat? They might not have won as much, but I mean, they still would have been a successful franchise. They still would have been having exciting walk off game sevens. I mean, they're on a historic run right now, which is which is the crazy thing is that right now you know it, it it's gone from team cheated to wow team is really good to this team is historic i mean how many teams are perennially per, i think that's the right word at the yeah. top at the top of their league every single year i mean it's it's ridiculous it's nearing tom brady and the patriots type territory yeah, in like, terms of just back to back to back this is like we're the best no matter well, what like late 90s yankees yeah i mean you do have back in the early 2000s the the giants and the i guess was it the tigers that was also up there giants but and tigers yeah it just didn't feel like they dominated like the astros kind of have been lately it, it's it feels a lot different than what those teams felt and like. one of the domination if i may uh say is the fact that they have not consistently been the number one seed they're not winning 100 True. games in the regular season they get to the playoffs no matter what seed they are and they find ways to win it doesn't even make sense anymore like last year what they were 29 and 31 i think heading into the playoffs they were not good last year in the regular season yeah and then the playoffs come around they're like actually turns out we're really good in their and five, in their five playoff seasons they've gone 101 103, 107, and then this is their all-time low at 95 if you exclude the COVID season. Yeah. So. Like like, like the previous years, but these last two years, they have not been so incredibly dominant in the regular season. Then the, then the playoffs come around, and they just switch it on like that. It's like the whole team is Mr. October. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong about that. It's, it is it is something that it feels like Altuve. It feels like Correa, Springer, when he was on the team. They just showed up in October, yeah. and... That that's part of it, and I I I saw a take, Josh Donaldson, he said that Altuve is a Hall of Famer. I mean, I mean, he maybe he may be on track for it. I mean, that that is taking that into account my, the fact that he's very much on track. That's how I thought of Assuming it. Assuming he doesn't have anything catastrophic happen in the next however many years he's got left playing, I mean, the sheer the sheer numbers that are going to be combined with the resume is enough. Well, here's what I think. I think if they, part of it is we're still kind of blinded by the mm, scandal yes. that I think if they go on, they win the World Series this year, they have a few years with nothing happening, then it's kind of put on the back burner. It's kind of yeah. like Tom Brady. Under such a watchful you're right. eye. You're right. Like the, they, they could not get away with cheating under the watchful eye and, that they're under now. And right. you're right. Cheating would certainly play a role because, I mean, Bonds is still not there. But what, what the, That's diff. I mean, no, 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 it is. It is. But my point is that baseball is very, very much a, you know, they're they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna stay in their ground whenever they dislike cheating. But the fact is, where Bonds and Rose and all those guys did not have a chance to rebuild their reputation, the Astros have had a second run. They've had a chance to basically come back from the cheating scandal and say, hey guys, it wasn't the only thing that gave success. Because Bonds, no matter what, people can say steroids is why he run the, broke the record. He didn't get off steroids and then hit another 60 home runs the next season. Right. He was done. He retired, right? Pete Rose did not get back in the league and get to build his reputation, he was done. He was banned off the planet. The Astros cheated, 
They got crucified for it by everybody. And then Rob Manfred decided he wanted to be on the spotlight for being more hated than them, right? Anyway, and then they come back and they win. Yeah. And they rebuild their reputation gradually compared to the steroids where it was they never had a chance. And I don't think they would have because I think it did. Gen- I, I, I do not like Barry Bonds and that entire debacle. Mm-hmm. But they, regardless, he didn't have a chance to prove people wrong. The Astros have, and I think they have proven people wrong at this point. And who shows up in this opponent's dugout for the Astros when they make the championship series but Alex Cora. So that Ironic. Is, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a, you know. Well, what, I, what I'll say also, Josh Donaldson, great follow for the MLB postseason. He's got takes? Oh, my goodness, loads of them. I mean, he, like, basically live tweets the game, and he gets hundreds of replies. I mean, hate it or love it, the Astros are that good, which is pretty much what we just said yeah. and analyzed. It, I'll it, be completely honest with you. The the thing that's gotten me through this postseason so far has been watching uh, has been watching John Boy's live streams of the games where they yeah. just watch it yeah. and – I've had the radio on at the same time, so I can kind of watch it with them. Well, yeah, I mean, it's basically watching your friends. You get the instant reaction. I just, I like their, you know, they're they can say some stuff that that Fox, that TBS can't say. So yeah, exactly. Um, and at you know, at, I'll tell you when when the Braves hit or when the Dodgers hit that three run home run the other night, I just about dropped dead. And yeah, I could not stop. I, I'm with you. Another minute of the radio or TV broadcast. So John Boy was my savior. So <laughs> um, that was just about the only thing I could stomach baseball content wise. So um, speaking of that, uh, we will we could transition over to the National League just for a, a few minutes. Uh, I know you got the hat on, so you probably want to talk about it. Wh- how wh- what can you say about Eddie Rosario's contribution to this Braves team? I mean, what an absolute trade deadline period by the Braves. I mean, it's not just Eddie. I mean, you got to look at Adam Duvall. He hit a home run. He robbed a home run last night. Jorge Soler, who has COVID right now. If the, if the Braves clinch and go to the World Series, that guy's going to be back, and he's going to be good. Solar and power. October. He was a little bit earlier than the trade deadline, but my Lord, he has been in – I mean, he's the reason the Braves are at this point from his contributions early on. So it, it, it has been a fantastic – Series for those outfielders and all those contributions, especially Eddie Rosario. All right. So, what is coming up on the scoreboard today, and what do Auburn fans have to be excited about as the president of the Jungle? What what opportunities do they have to uh, support the Auburn Tigers this upcoming weekend? Yeah, um, I'll lead off with the scoreboard. We're going to be talking a lot about uh, college football, everything sports, college football, NFL, NBA season it's pretty much opened up, and then obviously Major League Baseball postseason. Now for the Auburn Tigers. Auburn Soccer Complex tonight, 6.30, Fanny Pack Giveaway, Senior Night, and Auburn Men's Basketball Team will be there supporting the soccer team. I guarantee you Dylan Cardwell, Jabari Smith, all of them will be there banging on those Home Depot buckets, bringing the noise. Everyone else should do the same thing. That's going to be an awesome game. It really is. I mean, number four, Arkansas, this is basically for one of the top seeds in the SEC. If Auburn wins this game, they have a chance to win the West on Sunday at Ole Miss, so you don't want to miss tonight's game. Awesome. So we're looking forward to that. Um, Alex, your show uh, goes live on Friday. Yes, yes, it does. We talked about the uh, 90s and early 2000s animated Scooby-Doo movies. Had a lot of fun with it and a lot of very exciting news, a lot of Batman trailers and stuff, a lot lot of exciting stuff to talk about on that one. And then we're finishing up next week with John Carpenter's The Thing and Halloween, two movies that I've not seen in a very long time. So looking forward to to those. Well, I was going to – are we done? We can be done. Okay. Jeff Passan, this is – here, just a – I was looking for this tweet while we were talking about the outfielders. Around the July 30th deadline, Atlanta traded for four outfielders, Adam Duvall, Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario, and Jorge Soler. 
in 101 plate appearances this postseason. They're hitting a combined 341, um, 400, 593, I believe that's slugging and on-base percentage or on-base plus slugging with six homers and 21 RBIs in eight games. Atlanta's up 3-1 in the NFC. Good Lord. I mean, yeah. That, I mean, that, that tells the whole story. So is there like an executive of the year award that, and are the Braves going to win it? Because like, I mean, if they win the World Series, yeah. it's it going to be like Alex they win it anyway. and the Polos. Like the next man up award. Too, yeah, I mean. it seems like they should right. win it the anyway. Way, the way I they've mean, been able to just, it's like it's like a shark's mouth. I mean, Pull out one teeth, there's another one right behind before it. Before last night, Freddie Freeman really hadn't done much other than the, the go-ahead style. home run. I mean, he was, you know, in, eight, the game. 0 for 8, 7 strikeouts yep. with games 1 and 2 at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were talking about in the bullpen. Last night's game was the deciding factor because I don't think L.A. would have lost game five if they had won game four in L.A. And then, I won't say it's a deciding factor. I know I'm, it's, it's no, not I, over. Okay, so, so not okay, sorry, not the deciding <laughs> will, factor. What, yeah. I, what, I mean, what I mean is that's, I mean, whoever won that game was going to have all the momentum, and the Braves have the Braves all of it right now. Braves their stars that they're not going to be refugees in Texas this year for game yes. six and seven. Yes, I, I, I feel a lot better because it's coming back to Atlanta You've got at least two chances there, so I, exactly. I, I'm comfortable. But it was it was about taking the momentum. That was the that was the game that was going to decide the momentum of the series mm-hmm. and which direction it was going to go. And right now, the Braves have all of it. All right. Well, we're looking forward to the Braves, who have a chance to close it out tonight. You can get a preview of that on the scoreboard tonight. You can also hear Bay's disappointment in his <laughs> Boston Red Sox, probably as well. So. Uh, thank you to uh, Jacob and Alex for joining me today. I got some members of the African Student Association coming in to talk about their African Jams event coming up this Saturday on the other side of this break. So you won't want to go anywhere. Keep it right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. Have a great weekend, guys, and War Eagle. Thank you. back to another exciting episode of Compact Discourse. I am your host, <clears throat> Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex Houston, and uh, we are ple- uh, it's our great pleasure to welcome in some members of the African Students Association. We've got PK, we've got Chidinma joining us in the booth with us today. PK, Chidinma, how are you doing on this fine Thursday morning? Thank you for coming in. Thank you very much, Jack. Thanks for having us. It's great, great to have you here, PK. Chidinma? Thank you, Jack. It's awesome to be here. Great. Uh, you guys are already settling in. Sound great on the microphones. Um, <laughs> I'd love to hear about the African Students Association, what you guys do, what your outreach is like, what events you put on, and how you fit into the whole Auburn family. I'd love to hear about it. Okay, I'm going to hand that over to the president, uh, Chidima. Thank you. Oh, the president, you. of course. <laughs> Thank you, PK. So, the African Students Association was instituted to create a home for African students who were studying in Auburn here in Auburn. Um, I remember coming here as a new student. I kind of felt lost, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, thankfully we already had ASA at the time and that kind of eased my transition into Auburn University. Um, We basically just created a home for new students link them up to already existing students who kind of show them the ropes, how to go shopping, show them around campus. It just makes the transition easier, especially when you see someone from your home country who is already here and mm-hmm. doing quite well. 
So, but apart from having that home for African students, one of the things that the ESA is also mandated to do is to promote the African culture in a diverse environment such as this. You'd be amazed to know how many non-Africans who think that Africa is a country. Africa is not a country. Yeah, <laughs> Africa it's a bunch is of a country. Yes, exactly. And even as an African, I don't know all the countries. I've never been to most of the countries in Africa. Right. And we are all learning and, you know, getting to know about the diverse cultures in Africa and learning to, you know, tolerate each other, enjoy our cultures, learn. I think it's really all about learning and introducing the um, urban community to what Africa is all about based on our different cultures from our different countries. Mm -hmm. So to do that, we have our monthly meetings, which are usually formal. We we usually have a country highlight during every meeting where we have someone from a particular country come to talk to us about their country. I mean, at the last minute meeting, we had this lady from Ethiopia who talked to us about Ethiopia. And for the first time, I realized that Ethiopia had a different set of alphabets than the rest of the world, different time, different almost everything. And it was even amazing to see how this lady was able to adjust to the right. system here in the U.S. So... Apart from the monthly meetings, we, we always have a fun event every month. So we have a monthly meeting, then we have a fun event, then sometimes we also have outreaches. And then um, for this month, our fun event is the African Jams Night, which PK is really pumping to go all out for because that was like originally his idea. And yeah, we're really basically excited to come and have fun, you know, unwind after a very hectic schedule in school. Mm -hmm. So you, you talk about kind of helping students that come over from Africa get assimilated and get comfortable with what life is like here in Auburn. What are some of the steps you take to ensure that they, they settle in? And what, what kind of challenges have you faced? I, I can imagine that it's a very different, it's very jarring change mm -hmm. um, considering you're, you know, thousands of miles away from, from your home area. What are, what are some of the biggest challenges you faced in helping students get comfortable here at Auburn? The major challenge is transportation. Because you're coming from your country, you can't possibly come with your car, even mm -hmm. if you had one <laughs> in your country. Right. And there's basically nothing you can do in Auburn without having your own car. Right. And then the Tiger Transit has, like, stipulated hours. So, um, like, on Saturdays, there's no Tiger Transit. And the students need to shop. They need to go to church or, you know, move from one point to the other. So one of the major things we try to do is be available for these new students who need rides to go grocery shopping, to go to go to church, to go anywhere, basically. Even sometimes for our events, we have to organize transportation, especially, like, this one is going to be from 6 to 10. Mm -hmm. When it's 10 o'clock, you can't have Tiger Transit, right? So we, we also have to make provisions for a way to get them back, the ones who don't have cars yet, back to their various hostels. Another thing is the code. Mm, like, yeah. literally, my... <laughs> My first year here, I thought I was going to die of cold. For real. <laughs> like, like, is this the night when I wake up the next morning and I'm dead? <laughs> and nobody even taught me, yeah. taught us how to dress oh, for okay. the weather. Like, you didn't even know that, okay, you have to have, have the first layer, then the second layer, and then the jacket. So I just put on my regular sweater, and then I'm freezing, like literally freezing. And you even need to know how to shop for winter clothes and all that. So right. we try to offer these services, like the older students who have stuff they aren't using, give them away to the new students and um, also help them go into shopping. We have this um, 
discussion sessions where we address some of these needs. Like in November, we're partnering with a graduate school to talk about the American society, especially as it comes to winter, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and mm -hmm. all that. So they kind of have an idea what to expect. So those are some of the things we do. Uh, is there anything else, PK? No, I guess the general cultural shock, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's a shock. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, mo moving anywhere is is, is is a jarring transition, and I can imagine is yeah. the same from moving from Africa to Auburn. Quite quite a different area. Mm. Oh yes, and then the food. Oh, the food. Yeah, <laughs> the I food. could imagine that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What uh, do people have have a favorite once they get here, or a le a least favorite maybe? Well, back home we had the fast food joints, McDonald's and all that. So we, we kind of used to burgers and hot dogs, but mm -hmm. it wasn't what you did on a regular. Oh, it was what okay. you did once in a while. Okay. And then there is no African restaurant in Auburn. The right. closest is possibly Montgomery, which is one hour away. Yes. Even the stores where you buy the raw materials to mm. cook is a hassle. So yeah. that's also one of the things we try to do. If we have someone going to Atlanta or to Montgomery, we could just... Contribute like okay, yeah. if you're new and you need to buy stuff, you need to give this get, dude get money. The ingredients to get and bring it back. <laughs> yes, so to you get can it make back. your favorite recipes at home. <laughs> yes. Okay, I yes. see. All right, well, we're gonna head to a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna be talking about all about the African Student Association as well as the African Jams event we have coming up this weekend. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I want to remind everybody this episode will be available as a podcast completely PSA break free after the show. So keep it right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in about two minutes with the final segment of the show. 91.1 WEGL FM, Auburn University. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. Thank you for choosing to spend your Thursday morning with us here in the Bradley Basin Studios in the Harold Melton Student Center. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex Houston and some awesome members of the African Students Association. We've got PK, we got Chidima hanging out with us in the booth with us for this awesome episode of Compact Discourse. I'm really excited to get back into our conversation so we can pick up right where we left off uh, with, with uh, the president of the association, Chidima, was telling us about um, some of the big changes that students have to face when they come from Africa to Auburn. A uh, couldn't, couldn't pick a more different spot, if you ask me. And then, uh, well, PK is also going to tell us about the African Jams event that's coming up this Saturday that Weagle's helping out with. So, well, we'll just jump right back into that. Right. Uh, so, uh, as you mentioned, uh, we've got this uh, event on Saturday, which is the African Jams Night. Uh, there's been a lot of preparation towards it. And right like Chidima stated, um, so what? The semester has really been tough. A lot of activity. Uh, you've got work. You've got classroom assignments as well. Mm -hmm. You know, those who've got to do presentations and all that. So, um, you'd usually find that the, the semester is There's full of activity of and mm -hmm. stress. So we said, listen, why not come up with an event that would help us to, you know, to, to, to kind of wind down. And we thought of the African Jams Night. And um, it's been dubbed the all-white uh, Jams Night. Um, <laughs> you know, so a lot of the African students way back home, uh, there were parties, 
and uh, you'd have you you could go and dance you know to african music especially right. nigerian music you know and it's going to be a competition between nigerian and ghanaian music <laughs> oh okay <laughs> I, I see I oh know, please ghana yeah. doesn't even come close <laughs> ghana doesn't come close you know so uh, there's a lot of excitement ahead of uh, saturday's program with with thankfully uh, you're going to be supporting us uh, yeah. with some great music on that day so uh, we encourage all the African students, and as part of our, uh, our drive to encourage um, inclusion, um, it will be interesting to note that uh, one of our members is is an American, you know, Chidima's very good friend, <laughs> you know, who's who's leading the, um, uh, she's part of the, what committee is she part of? The publicity. Publicity she's, committee. She's a okay. great designer. Yes, very, very actively involved in publicity. You know, so you are invited as well. Of course, you're going to be there. You know, to of to, course to to experience absolutely this this battle out here. Yeah. yeah. So it starts um, six p.m. on Saturday, uh, six to ten p.m. Um, it's a night of music and dance. You've got to be in your white attire because it's all white. Okay. Uh, you know, so everybody's got to grab their white, and it's it's open to all students. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are with the um, what the Indian Student Association, everybody's welcome. Yeah, and I think it's really strategic we're doing this right now because I grew up listening to Backstreet Boys, Westlife. Okay, Westlife is British. Britney Spears, mm-hmm. Fifty Cent, um, this other dude that really has some cool party jams. Anyway, I grew up exposed to American music. Right. But I don't think a lot of Americans are exposed to other kinds of music. So this would really be a good opportunity for not just Americans, but other non-African, non-American students here in Auburn to get exposed to Nigerian music, which is really, really taking center stage right now. I mean, we had um, Whiskey and then Burner Boy who won the Grammys at the last Grammys. So Nigerian music is like the next big thing. Oh, and I say this that. as a proud look Nigerian. Look Seriously, PK, you can't even compare. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, said, you, you, you've got to be the judge of that day. <laughs> I'm glad you're going to be there. That's a lot of pressure. I, uh, oh, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. So, yeah, it's an opportunity to get to see Nigerian music. Um, oh, sorry, experience Nigerian music and Nigerian dance steps. We have, I think, the best dance steps in the world. Seriously. Why are you copying? Every, <laughs> every, every musician tries to top the other one with a new dance step. So like mm-hmm. every new hit song, there's a dance step that Look, goes Jack, with it. Do so we you're agree going here to see that, that on that day, there's going to be a dance competition between Chidima and I. It sounds like <laughs> yes, whatever PK, happens. She's really tempting me, PK, Jack. I'm, I'm she's, sorry, she's, but I don't know why she's doing you, this, Jack. You really don't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> Jack, I'm I leave serious. This this don't don't tempt, hands, you know? don't tempt me. What is, I, what is all I will this? come all out for you. And this is supposed to be a science student who's always in the lab. Exactly. So you know? don't don't understand no me because I'm a chemistry PhD. Jesus I still have wept. that side. You Jesus know, where I let wept. my hair down. So yeah, please. sounds like whatever happens on Saturday is going to be can't miss entertainment. No, you can't miss entertainment. Yeah. Um, I'd I'd love to hear about your guys' um, journey of how you, how you got to Auburn because we're obviously super happy and thrilled that you're here and putting mm. on this event, but. Mm. I'd love to hear about what what steps you had to take in order to to get here to and, to our favorite place. And also, I'd say how you heard about it because I heard about it because I'm three hours away. But I, I'm very curious as to how you guys heard about Auburn and how Auburn got on y'all's radar. So, well, okay, so for me, I I had had an earlier uh, experience of um, school in the UK, and so um, I spent a year in the UK, and then <clears throat> while well, I I went back home to Ghana, I went back working. And I decided to take some break off. And uh, this time around, I wanted to have an experience of education in the U.S. Because um, I'd had a, quite a couple of friends who had spoken about the experience in the U.S. And um, initially, I so I went 
you know, searching through the internet, looking for schools. And I really didn't want a place that was so much populated. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew, you know, living in New York or in in um, Texas or Atlanta would be a lot of, you know, <laughs> trouble. A lot of people. A lot of people. Yeah. yeah. So I just saw Auburn and I was like, you know, why don't I have an experience of it? I had I, I had no idea about Auburn, you know, absolutely no idea. Right. And um, I haven't regretted it. Um, it's a really cool place, very quiet, but, you know, I'm not insulated from the challenges you talked about <laughs> um it's it's difficult um it can be a lonely place but yeah. you know when you find your community of african students african people you feel more at home you feel more um included and and i guess it takes off all that stress yeah it's great that you're kind of solving a problem that you've all experienced is mm -hmm. not having a sense of community mm -hmm. and you're coming together to make a great community for right, all right. this this diaspora of mm -hmm. you know we're super excited to welcome people from all over the world here at Auburn and mm. the fact that uh, you guys can pick up the slack and kind of have a great community of African students is, is perfect for, you know, continuing to build and making sure everybody's comfortable here. Mm. Yeah. So in my own case, I already had a friend. I had I attended undergrad with him and um, he had already gotten into the chemistry PhD program here in Auburn. And um, I had just finished my master's and I'm like, okay, I really want to clone. You know, for some reason, I'd always <laughs> been <laughs> fascinated by yeah. DNA and all the fascinating stuff she could do. You know, take the gene from a snake, put it into a fish. Nothing that crazy. <laughs> but, you know, it's good to it's let imagination. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted, I wanted an opportunity to clone. And I, I didn't think I was going to get that in Nigeria. So I was actually just exploring, like, any school in the U.S., in Australia, where I could, you know, get into actual research. Yeah, and so then stuff you wanted to do. Yes, it's kind of stuff I wanted to do. So I had this friend who was already here, and he's like, well, just apply. I mean, since I'm here, it would even ease with the transition. And he lied to me. <laughs> he told me the weather was similar to what we had in Nigeria, and it wasn't that cold. And I bought it, and then I applied, and I got in. Well, during the summer, it was kind of similar, but I didn't prepare. I wasn't prepared wasn't for the prepared cold. Wasn't prepared for yes, this time of year. <laughs> so, yes. So, yeah, that, that was how I landed in Auburn. But he's really been great. And the fact that I also had that friend, he didn't have a car as well, so he couldn't help me with that. But he helped with some other stuff, like, you know, getting a house and all that. So, yeah. That was how I got here. Helping to stay comfortable. You know? Yes, and having someone to complain to every time. Oh, yeah, that, that's trouble. very important, yes. is having someone <laughs> to complain to. Yes, so yeah, um, that was my story. So, yeah, and how did you all get involved in the uh, the African Students Association? Was it, did you have to reach out, or did they, did they come to you? Well, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the COVID had um, created a bit of dormancy, you know, so we're all caught up in our, in our various rooms for... <laughs> Close to a year. Yeah. But yep. I, I happened to have started working with the um, International Cultural Center. And we also um, have a way of, well, as part of our programming, we connect international students to domestic students. We organize quite a number of programs. And it's all towards uh, helping the university realize its uh, vision of internationalizing the campus. And so one of our programs, which was uh, Window to Your World, Chidima um, happened to have uh, uh, been a panelist on on our on, on one of our seven minutes that's where i got to meet her mm -hmm. and so we became friends and then she she sent out an invitation to me uh to join in this whole asa reimagined you know <laughs> it was it was to come out of the COVID period and that's how come i became involved in the asa you know so i have to defend myself from that 
almost accusation from PK. <laughs> When I got into Auburn, like I said, I already had a friend and he was involved in ESA. And, you know, we had a much more thriving um, ESA back then because it was pre-COVID. Yeah. So I, I was sucked right into it. And it was awesome because it kind of eased the loneliness that PK mentioned. It was fun to see, you know, your fellow students and, you know, just go through that experience together. And then COVID happened. And everybody retreated into their shells. Some people graduated. We didn't even know. Usually we'll go for our graduation parties mm, of our members and all that. Mm. Yeah. And then our staff advisor, when school began to come back in person, called this meeting. Like, oh, we need to know who we still have on campus. Like, ASC is almost dead and forgotten and that's not cool especially for those of us who experienced what it was like as a new student and she's like you have a lot of new students and they are all lonely you can't yeah. you have to give back what was given to you so right. that was what led to the meeting bk was talking about i technically didn't call that meeting the staff advisor did and then we felt a moral obligation to you know yeah Give you know, back. afford other people the same opportunity that you yes, were afforded. Yes, that awesome. we had. So. Mm -hmm. All right. So and you actually invited. Uh, we're going to um, induct you into the African Student oh, Hall of Fame. Very well. Hall of Fame. <laughs> that's, that's high praise. Yeah. All right. PK, I'm going to let you give one more pitch before uh, we got to get out of here for your uh, event this Saturday. Right. So um, all of you out there listening to us, myself and Chidima, who's the president of the ASA, this Saturday, uh, come Saturday, the 23rd, is it? Yeah, 23rd. 23rd of uh, October. We've got the African Nights Jam. And it's going to be explosive. It's going to oh. be fun. It's <laughs> going to be exciting. Thanks to uh, WEGL, you have, have uh, accepted to DJ for us for the night. So For free. For let's free. let's and, emphasize and that's, that. That's, that's really <laughs> exciting for this partnership. And so we encourage everybody to join us on Saturday. Uh, for this wonderful event. Uh, there's going to be uh, some chops as well, Chidima, mm -hmm. some drinks. Something light. Mm -hmm. You don't want to feel too heavy while right. you're getting while down. While you're dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. So we, we invite them to, to join us. You also don't want to spill anything on your white clothes. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And they shouldn't forget that dance competition between Chidima and myself, okay. which is going to be uh, moderated by you. Yes. Which I'll, I'm I'll sell tickets. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on Thanks, the show Jack. today. And thank you all out there for listening to this exciting episode of Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM, however you joined us today, whether that be from your radio antenna from WeagleFM.com or by listening to our podcast. We would like to remind you that all of our previous episodes are available as a podcast, absolutely PSA break free, wherever podcasts are heard. Just search for Compact Discourse. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at CDISCAU, that's at C-D-I-S-C-A-U, for links to that podcast. You can tweet at us to get your opinion on the show and join the conversation. We are Auburn's only student-run morning show. You might want to go ahead and follow WEGL on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at WEGL underscore AU. That's Weagle underscore AU. Our dedicated team of marketing professionals is working tirelessly to provide you with high-quality content for fans of the station. And with that, for Jack Hart, Alex Houston, Davis Carroll, Jacob Hillman, Bay Marks, PK, and Chidima, thank you for joining us. Awesome people from the African Students Association. We wish you a great weekend. We will be back Monday at 8 a.m. to talk at you. Have a great weekend. Have a good bye week. And this is Jack Hart signing off for the week. But I'm trying to see a colorful bird.